was uh, reading an article earlier this week that talked about um, environments and how environments can hinder or increase growth. And they used the idea of uh, like uh, fish. Fish in a fish tank will only grow to the size of their environment. Take the same fish and put it in a bigger environment, the fish can grow larger. And I was just worshiping and praying, and I felt like the Lord said, ask me for a bigger environment spiritually so that we can grow and when increase. And then when we're worshiping, we're not stuck inside the paradigm of like, you know, this is our dimension. This is what we always do. This is how it always is. When we ask God for more, Jesus said this, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be what? Filled. He intends on expanding the environment spiritually that we're in so that we can grow. So I thought, what an opportunity then to ask. We have not because we ask not at times. Let's ask the Lord for a bigger spiritual environment. Let's ask for the opportunity to grow and for him to meet that need in our life. So Father, as we gather together right now as one, Lord, one purpose right now, not simply to check the box, not just to be nice to someone who invited us and not to do the regular thing that we do over the weekend, but we gather right now as one to acknowledge that you are king, that you are Lord and you are supreme. Father, I ask for a bigger spiritual environment. God, I don't want to be the same when I walk out of here as I was when I came in here. I want to know more about you. I want you to have more of me. I want to be more like Jesus. The Bible says from glory to glory. Father, take us on that journey today. Thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for what you want to do. We open our hearts and our minds right now. Father, increase so that we can increase. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. If that's your prayer, say amen. amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Thank you. All right, glad that you are here this weekend. Uh, you'll need a pen, a pencil. Uh, there's a few fill-in-the-blanks in the notes. If you use the online version of the U-Notes, that's great. And if you learn best by just listening, uh, however it works best for you, I want you to be able to absorb the message and to remember it the best that you, uh, that you can. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, my favorite holiday is uh, Thanksgiving. Man, we had this year, it was, um, we have uh, three married children, so we do the thing probably where some of you have the similar, uh, we rotate every other year, and it was our year to be on. And it rotated to our house. So we had 19 people at our house uh, for Thanksgiving on Thursday. And it was not a quiet Thanksgiving, but it was a fun, fun Thanksgiving. I hope you had a good time too. Much to be thankful for. Um, let me ask you a question real quick. Uh, it, when I asked it last night, I'm not sure that people fully understood, so I tried to rephrase how, how I'm saying this. Um, have you ever intuitively recognized something that you didn't have the proof for? You understand what I mean by that? Have you ever felt something, sensed something? Um, maybe, maybe like you, you knew that you knew, but you couldn't articulate it because you've never seen it written someplace else. You've never heard anybody else talk about it, but you knew it was true inside of you. Do you, you understand what I mean by that right there? All right. Had that happen recently, and I think it equals uh, what I want to talk about this weekend, and, and uh, it may even launch into 2019 to talk about um, a message that, that comes from this, and you'll, you'll see what I mean by that. Um, so the last 16 months as a church, it's been a tremendous transitional time. We went from multi-campuses, five campuses, down to two right now. Um, the second campus is I'm working to mature to a point where it can make up its mind what it wants to do. I've given away tons of pastors now who are pastoring their own churches, uh, more than a uh, million dollars. And if you add up uh, the, the future giving of the people we gave away. We gave away $2 million worth of resource. We gave away more than 1,000 people over the last 16 months. Uh, a tremendous change has happened in our church. And so what we were, we're not. We crossed a threshold that we can't go back to. But what we're going to be, we're not there yet. 
for whatever reason. God's not saying go, and it's just not time, and maybe we're not ready. So we're stuck in between two places, where we were and where we're going to be. And that place right there, I stood up in front of our staff, and I didn't know what to call it. So I said, it's like being in a hallway between two rooms. And I said, that hallway can be a difficult place. Because what people tend to do when you end up in that hallway, and by the way, it's not just a staff issue that you can be in that hallway. In relationships, where you were and where you're going to be, you can get caught in between the two places. That hallway. Jobs can be like that. Where you were and where you're going to be, you can get caught in the middle right there. You understand what I mean? Financially, where you were and where you're going, you can be caught in the middle until things are ready. That hallway can be a difficult place to navigate. Have you ever realized that? And what I've learned is that people tend to make bad mistakes in that hallway for this reason. They don't like the hallway. They don't like the way it feels, the way it looks. Uh, You can't tell the perimeters of it. How long is this hallway going to last? And here's what people do. People make very permanent decisions based on something that is going to change eventually. Uh, They'll change a marriage during that time. They'll change a job during that time. Uh, change, Change the way that they feel about the things of God during that time. Things that they've been very committed to and and very much this is the way it is, but it's a new season and you're just not simply there yet. You're in that hallway. So I stood up in front of our staff and I said, this is what's going on with us. And I just want to say this to you because I feel like the Lord has put it on our heart. The hallway is as important as being here or here. God can teach you more in the hallway than any place else, actually. But we just tend to hate the hallway so bad we rush through the hallway. We want out of the hallway. And God tends never to like uh, get nervous when we are. Like, got something to teach you here and show you. And we tend to make bad decisions in the hallway rather than just staying the course and trusting God. So I told our staff, listen, right now, we're not who we were, but we're not yet what we're going to be. And so right now, it's just a time, man. Stay faithful. When you can't see God's hand, trust his heart. It's an important thing to do in all areas of life. Two days later, I'm handed a book called Leadership Pain, written by a guy named Samuel Chan. The premise of the book um, if you're not bleeding, you're not leading. And his, his point just simply is this, leadership is not for cowards. It, it's a difficult thing. And we all lead in something. And it's not for the faint of heart. But I'm reading the book, third chapter. I come across this little paragraph, and I'm going to read it to you. It begins with these two words, liminal space. Liminal space. And then it reads this way. It's not very long. Liminal space in theology and psychology is the intermediate, in-between, transitional state where you cannot go back to where you were because a threshold has been crossed, but you can't go where you're going to be because you're not ready, it's not available, or God's not meeting you there. Essentially, it's the hallway between the past and the future, and it can be stressful in the hallway. How smart am I? So that hallway thing right there, I I felt it intuitively enough so that I was actually teaching on it without knowing there was anything else out there on it. Then I discover that it's actually a term of theology and psychology, much to be talked about. So I started training and teaching our staff uh, how to grow. Don't waste pain. Like, like are you thinking, like, if I don't say amen, I won't have any pain? Is that the, is that, I I, I get, you know that life just has it sometimes. And there's just a certain thing that God can teach us during that time. So I, I would just say this. I'm trying to work with our staff in a, in a, in a time that's just not, it's not comfortable. Maybe that would be a word. It's not always fun. Uh, it's not always easy. It's not always, um, like, exciting. But it does have to be done. How about this? Uh, any, anything that's worth doing, there's a sacrifice to do it. It's just the way that it works. And as I, I was teaching on this, I felt uh, like the Holy Spirit told me, it's far bigger than just where the staff is at. In space and time, people are dealing with this as a whole. So I felt like it was good for our church, but I feel like any believer could probably pull something from this. So here's what it's about today. I'm just going to talk about navigating the hallway, dealing with difficulties, how to, how to be successful in that time. Uh, by the way, if you're like, okay, pastor, good for you. You knew something um, in an in a intuitive way, and you found something uh, in, a, in a book, but, you know, is it scriptural? that's the bottom line for me too. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, with what I just taught you about the hallway in between. You were here, you're going to go here, but there's an in-between. 
Look at uh, this verse. I bet you have uh, you've seen this verse. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image. Uh, read this from, uh, from glory to glory. So you were here. You're going to be here. They use the word to for the hallway. Glory to glory. You were here. God's job is to get you here, but there's an in-between. Do you see it right there? So not only is it an intuitive thing, not only is it a thing that's out there that's uh, got a terminology for it, the Bible teaches it when you're going from this to this, there's an in-between place that can be difficult. It can be the place where the enemy's temptation, uh, his, his, his best work can be done in that hallway right there. That's probably a good way to say it. And so just talking about how to handle that is where this comes from. And so I only have two things to teach real quick. We'll take communion at the end. I think it's the perfect fitting uh, for a way to respond to this message. So the first one, if you've got a pin, is just simply this. Navigating the hallway, navigate it like a soldier. Like a soldier. Don't assume anything like, oh, I, I can figure out where pastor's going with this, or I know what he's going to try to say with this. Uh, this is something that I think might be outside of the box of what you've ever considered and, uh, and thought about. And the only reason I use this, Paul who at this point, when he writes the words I'm about to read to you, is probably in his mid-50s, uh, somewhere in that time frame. Uh, he's a mature minister. Uh, by trade, he was a lawyer. He's a very smart person. Uh, he's done a lot. He's seen a lot. Uh, he, he's the guy that if you want to go and learn, if you want to mentor, this is the guy that you'd love to have in your life. And he's got a protege, and his protege's name is Timothy. Timothy's a young guy, his late teens, maybe his mid-twenties, we don't know for sure, but he's a young guy. And he's not yet done it, he's learning how to do it. And Paul's the guy that's training him. And Paul teaches him a lot of different things, how to pastor, how to fight the good fight, how to get to the end, how to pour it all out, how to, how to stay balanced, how to love God, how to, how to, how to get through life and, and not let life win with you. I mean, it's, he's teaching him a lot of different things. But uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, he teaches him a mindset of navigating difficulty, and he simply says this to him, endure suffering. Yes or no, that's difficulty. Yes. Endure suffering along with me as a good what? As a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Timothy's not a soldier. Timothy's not in the army. And Paul is not telling him to enlist with the Roman legion. He's just simply telling him there's a mindset that when you're going through that hallway, that difficult, that, that stressful place, you've got to have particular mindsets as you do it. One of the mindsets is like a soldier. So I wrote that down. I'm studying for this message, and uh, just about uh, two weeks ago, not quite, but just about two weeks ago, uh, we celebrate uh, the 100-year anniversary of the end of World War I. Anybody aware of that, saw that? The president was over in France, and there were some things here in the U.S., and around the world that talked about that, uh, that celebration. So I, I'm, I'm looking at this message that I'm teaching the staff. Uh, I'm reading some of these things as I'm studying, and the Holy Spirit starts bringing some things together, the idea of being a soldier and the mindset of a soldier. So I'm reading these things about World War I, and then it caused me to start studying a little bit. So let me, let me just do this real quickly. Um, I, I read this the first time that they recognized this terminology was in World War I and this problem, and it was this. Uh, World War I, they fought trench warfare. It was the first time where people are stuck in trenches, literally yards from each other for extended periods of time, and they're using horrible means to harm each other. Gas and, and bombs, of course, bullets are there. Trench warfare, where they literally go over. It's where the term trench knife and the, the idea of how to fight in a trench came from. It, it was a terrible thing. And soldiers were stuck in these conditions literally for six, eight nine months at a time without a break. And this term uh, came from World War I. Uh, a soldier stuck too long in the heat of battle would become shell, do you know the? Shell-shocked. The terminology came from World War I. Uh, shell-shocked, when it's, when it's minor, uh, can cause a person just to feel stressed and anxious. They can't talk or think well. But shell-shocked, when it has its full it can cause a person emotionally to break down and they don't bounce back from it. Medication doesn't change it. 
something happened in a person's mind that twisted it. And so they realized from that experience that soldiers can't be left indefinitely in a stressful situation. They have to have R&R, rest and relaxation. In World War II, they tried to learn some of the lessons from that, but unfortunately, fighting in Europe or fighting in the Pacific, they found themselves, North Africa, they found themselves at places where they couldn't get that break. And so this terminology, they switched it from shell shock, they began to call it combat fatigue. But it was the same thing. Soldiers left too long in a stressful situation without the ability to have a break, without the ability to, 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 uh, to, to find joy in the middle of the battle. It began to mess with their minds and, and it, would, it would harm them. Uh, today, we have the same thing, but we have an acronym for it. I bet you know it, PT, post-traumatic stress disorder. It's the same thing. All of them are the same thing. They come from a person being left in a situation of stress that's beyond the pale. And the only reason I'm even pointing this out to you is Paul uses the very thought that when you're enduring stress and enduring trouble, you have to do it like a soldier, but even soldiers have to have a break. You hear what I'm saying? Um, your life, much like a soldier's, the Bible says, man, you fight a spiritual battle. And not only do you fight a spiritual battle, but just like every other human being, you fight things on an everyday scale too. Work and home and things in the news and politics. And I, When you look around, does it just seem like there's a lot of stress out there? Yes. Do you know that Paul also told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the very first verse, in the last days, stressful times will come. You probably read it as perilous, but the exact meaning of that word is stressful. Stressful times will come. And he uses that soldier thing. And I would just say to you, any person who is in a stressful situation and doesn't ever take the time to refresh, to reconnect, to, to, to refill, ends up in a place where it's harmful to your mind and ultimately to your body. Can you agree with that statement? So let, let me give you an illustration here real quick. Um, it, it's just, we, we just pulled it from outside. There's no trick to it. I didn't take it off a Christmas tree. It's not magic. It's just simply a pine branch. And it represents, for this illustration, uh, your life. Uh, any person that goes through managed stress, that's that first one right there if you want to write it, managed stress. Uh, managed stress is, here's what they learned with soldiers. 90 days is the maximum amount of time of engagement without a break. If you go past 90 days, it begins to harm the mind of a person. Here's my question to you. Uh, it's rhetorical. You don't need to yell out a time or raise your hand. <laughs> but how many of you are way past 90 days? You hear what I'm saying real quick? How many of you are way past 90 days in a highly stressful situation? A marriage that's not going well. Finances that are upside down. A health issue. You know, health issues are one of those ones that can go for years. And you can go from being a place where you're trying to manage it to where you become a caregiver. So one of the hardest things in life is to become a caregiver for a spouse or a parent. Anybody? Do you talk about stress without a break. A job situation. I mean, you read the newspaper, there's not a break from the world. Manage stress. So you go into it, but you realize, I need a break from it. Your life like this branch, if you manage it right, your life will snap right back. No problem. But what most people do, man, they get into that stressful situation and they don't take a break and they just bend it. Instead of bouncing they bend. And they tend to think like Samson. You remember Samson's great fault? is that he thought to himself, I'll go out like I did every time before. But when he tried to go that last time, he just didn't have the wherewithal to bounce back. And he got caught short. And your life, man, when you don't take that break and you don't think the right way and you're not doing the things to recreate and take care of yourself... You pull back from it after nine months or a year, and unfortunately, you'll bounce, but you don't bounce back. Ever been there? Now it takes a lot more than just a weekend off. 
It takes a lot more than somebody just encouraging you. And then, really, Americans and believers are thrown right into this, tend to just keep pressing and pressing and pressing. So they don't bounce and they don't bend, they break. And when you break, here's what makes it difficult for a believer. Look at me real quick. Because every time I say this, believers have trouble with it. Let me pastor you right now. What believers tend to think is that God is a God of miracles. And if I'm broken, I can pray for a miracle and God will heal me. Can I say that God is a God of miracles, but if you have to pray for a miracle every day just to survive, you're living life the wrong way. Health is more important than needing a miracle every day. You there? Um, When it's broken, I mean, look, God is a healer. There's no question about that, but let me... Let me try to explain it in another way. For those sitting in the back, it won't be a great representation, but if you can come up close on my arm just a little bit with that camera, any way to get closer. There you go. Keep going. Okay. Do you see the scar right there? Can you guys pick it out? See it on the screen? Tenth grade, playing football. I tried to tackle a guy, and he was big, and he broke my arm. It was how I knew it was time to quit football. (laughs) I don't always realize uh, how untall I am. And that was one of the (laughs) things that let me know. I broke it so bad that they had to put a plate and six screws into my arm. It was a painful experience. And they put the hardware in there to hold the bone together so that it'll heal up. Right? So watch. This way, no big deal. But watch the movement. I can turn all the way to there. And then I'm trying as hard as I can, and it'll shake, but I can't get the movement with the left like I can with the right. It's healed, but it's not the same. And worse than that, there's a permanent scar. And as a believer, when you put yourself in a position where you're not doing the thing that God told you to do, which is walking in health and walking with wisdom... Man, you can break, and when you do, you think to yourself, God is a healer. He'll heal you, but in our mind, here's what we think. Healing puts it back better than it ever was. Healing allows you to use it, but you lose the range of motion that you would have had. And you have a limp or a scar. That make any sense? The difficult truth of hearing a message like this It's just simply that scars remain and ability ability can be impaired. If you want the three fill-ins, it's managed, extended, beyond. You can manage stress. You can stay for extended periods where it begins to bend. And then you can go beyond. Pastor Terry put it in these terms. You can bounce, you can bend, or you can break. Bounce, bend, break. I wrote here these three things help you to live life the right way. These are the things that when you take that R&R, when you get that break, when you realize, man, I'm living my life in very stressful times, doing very stressful things, and there has to be some kind of a rhythm. Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything. There's a time to be serious. There's a time to work. But look at me real quick. There's also a time to laugh. And there's a time to enjoy. And there's a time to rest. And life has to be lived rhythmically in order to be enjoyed. Do you know one of the greatest things you can do under heaven is to enjoy your life before God? I should have gotten a way better amen on that. (laughs) Hey, do you, believers, look at me real quick. Believers have a tough time with this because believers take life so, it's so serious. It's just so serious. If life is so serious that it's a weight for you, you're living the wrong way. God intended, he gave you your life so you can enjoy your life. So let me give you three things you can do that help to balance it out, that help to give you that rhythm, that keep you in that place where you stay healthy. Uh, These are things that are, uh, look, healing is great, but health is what you're aiming for. So these are three things that help you stay healthy if you're constantly pushing it with stress. Here's the first one. Have fun. Have fun. Why is it church people never say amen when you say have fun? (laughs) 
Do you like to have fun? So, you know, I think we, we compartmentalize our lives and we think, yeah, but fun, fun in church, come on. Fun in church, it should be a sin not to have fun at church. Church is serious. Church is reverent. There's a place for that. I'm not saying that. Church has a respectfulness about it that should never be disregarded. But church also is a place, God gave you the capacity to enjoy, to experience pleasure, and to laugh. That didn't come from the devil. It's it's the highest crowning achievement in his creation of nature is that he created mankind in his image, part of his image. Do you think that God can laugh? I bet he's got a great sense of humor. I bet when we get to heaven, there'll be a lot of things we laugh about that we took so serious that could have been very joyful for us. Fun. You were made to laugh, created to laugh. Laughter is not some biological ability that happened over long periods of time. Evolution is not responsible for laughter. Creation is responsible for laughter. It's an inherent quality that God gives to his creatures to be able to do. The very word recreate, listen to this, recreate, comes from the word recreate, recreation. When we take time to recreate, it allows us to recreate our spirit on the inside. So many people are pushing it and living in that place of constant stress. And they go from work to home to spiritual life, to relation, and it's just one thing after the, and they never take the time to have fun, recreate it. When's the last time you just put your head back and laughed? Can you remember? Good for you. Who said that? <laughs> Boom. Hey, I've got a good one too. Chris and I, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of money to laugh. There's a lot of people think, well, I need to go on a $10,000 vacation in order to do, dude, that'll, you want to talk about something that'll make you look like you've been sucking on dill pickles, spend a lot of money on a vacation to go have fun, you, you don't have, when, when the kids were little, all ours are grown now, but when they were little, Sunday evening, uh, last thing before they go to bed, there was a show on TV, uh, I don't know if you'll remember it, Malcolm in the Middle, does anybody remember that show? It's a stupid show about a family, uh, uh, who's the, Brian Cranston, he got his big break uh, on that show, it was, it was a cute show, just uh, a, a dysfunctional family, but it was very funny, my kids loved that show. And so before bedtime on Sunday night, man, as a family, we'd gather, we'd watch that show, and we'd laugh. I forgot all about that show. And in the higher cable channels, I was flipping Wednesday, day before Thanksgiving, and we're in the thick middle of getting ready for Thanksgiving. Smoked two turkeys, smoked sausage, smoked brisket, trying to get all this food ready. I mean, Thanksgiving is serious business. (laughs) Push, 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 go, go, got to get it done, done, done. And in the middle of it, I went upstairs, and I sat down for it, but I just flipped the TV on. Malcolm in the Middle's playing up on those high... And I called Chris. I said, hey, come watch this real quick. Do you remember? And one episode turned into two, turned into three. And we laughed for an hour and a half reminiscing about our children when they were little. And that show, just how funny it was. And we just laughed. Look at me real quick. I'm going to say this to you. This is outside of the parameters of the message. December 17th will be our 35th anniversary. Don't clap. Just listen to me. When I'm asked from time to time how you made it, I can tell you one thing I know for sure. We both know how to laugh with each other. If you don't know how to do that, it makes marriage that much more difficult too. Yes or no? Humor and laughter is such a huge issue, man. How often is it taking place? How much are you enjoying your life? Ecclesiastes says one of the most honorable things you can do on this earth is to enjoy your life before God. Having fun, finding a time to be intentional about it, to take a break. Uh, we, we think in terms like, Pastor, how does this make it into a message? God created you with the ability to have fun. He wants you to have a good life. Jesus said he came to bring a life and not just any life, but an abundant life. Do you think an abundant life has laughter in it? Yes. When's the last time you laughed? And not sarcastic laughter either. I mean, really enjoyed. It was something you were enjoying. We should be able to say, I enjoy my life. Here's the second one. The first one's fun. The second one is friends. If you're living in balance, if you're doing it the right way, if you're taking that break, remember, 90 days is the maximum for any soldier 
in a place where they're on the front lines, you're called on the front lines, if you're going more than 90 days without doing these things, you're making a mistake, you're harming, you're harming your spirit. Paul writes to a church one time, I pray that you would be strengthened in your inner man. Listen to this real quickly. If your inner man can be strengthened, then by wording it can also be weakened. And I wonder how much we weaken the inner man because we don't walk and do the things in health that God just calls us to do. The first one is fun. The second one is just friends. Uh, Terry Hilgers has taught me a lot about friendship and a lot about the idea of how God uses friendship. Um, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 that it's not good for a man and a woman to be what? Alone. The worst punishment that you can do to a prisoner is solitary confinement. And do you know why? It messes with their mind. Real quick, you can sit in a room with five or six hundred other people and be completely lonely. Or you can sit in a room with one other person and be completely engaged. You ever experienced that? The amount of people has nothing to do with it. It's your engagement with a person. How about this? God never intended for you to heal yourself. God puts people in your life so that you can receive healing. You cannot survive a crisis without people. And life has crisis. You know, one of the things that I feel like I've done right, Terry even texted me this last night and told me he lost his wife earlier this year from cancer. Those who go here know what the last three years has been like for him. He's got a great support system and many friends who have come alongside. I'm sure he said this to many people. But he texted me last night talking about this message and he said, be sure to tell people tomorrow that going through a crisis requires a friend. And he said, John, you've been that friend to me and that's why I'm here right now. What a compliment to give somebody, huh? And yet we live life, tell me this isn't true. When you're fighting the battle and you get in that place where you're just like, oh, I can't take it anymore. Why is it in that place we get so isolated and we don't want to reach out to people? You ever think about that? I mean, the devil has you right where he wants you. Alone, isolated, and he can say anything to you without anybody else balancing the conversation out. And if you think your mind's strong enough to take on him, you're making a mistake, man. God puts people into our lives because healing, some forms of healing, only come that way. The third one, fun friends, the third one is just simply faith. Here's what I would tell you about your faith that goes with that friendship thing. The other thing we tend to do when we're in that place that we're constantly stressed and we're constantly in a battle, we tend to let our faith go during that time. Instead of doubling down on our faith, we tend to treat it like the thing that can be ignored. Because God never, he never comes and says, you must spend time with me. He always lets it be your choice, doesn't he? Now, I'm going to say this one. I've said it for 20 years in this church. I'll say it one more time. You cannot do life this way with each other unless you're doing life this way with God. Husbands, love your wives like Jesus loves you. Wives, love your husbands like you love Jesus. Unless you're experiencing life this way, you have no understanding of how to do it this way. Does that make sense? And the very thing that gets thrown to the side in times of crisis is our faith because God's never sitting there like, you have to put me as a priority. He asks that we put him first, but he never demands that we put him first. Yeah. And the do or the don't is life or death, yes or no. Uh, here, here's what the Bible says. This is really an important scripture that goes with this idea of your faith, doubling down on your faith, holding your faith, making sure that your faith is in a good place when you're going through it. Hebrews 10.35 says, Do not cast away your confidence because it has a great reward. I wonder how many rewards we've given up because right before we're about to reap, the devil convinces us to let it go. God, the time to double down is in crisis. Not a, here's what we tell ourselves. When I get through this, then I'll pick it up. Yeah. What a mistake that is. Man, your faith. I, I thought about this uh, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks ago, somewhere in there. I preached a message out of Matthew 24 where Jesus said, in the last days, uh, these two things will happen. One, watch out for deception. And two, watch out for coldness. And he meant simply this. He said that, because of the amount of evil in the world, 
in the end times, the love of many inside the church will grow cold. Okay, so remember that real quick. It's possible for believers to grow cold. Do you agree? Okay. Um, Paul tells Timothy this. Uh, Remember, Paul's the teacher, Timothy the protege. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that's inside of you. So Jesus said that because of evil, people can grow cold. And Paul said, if you're not fanning it into flame, it can go out. So you don't have to grow cold just because the days get worse. You can fan into flame your faith in your life, and it can be an all-consuming passion that keeps you safe when everything else around you is freezing. Does that make sense? You don't have to get cold. Hey, by the way, cold. So here's what I see. There's just so much. Let's just use division real quick. So much division today. People are throwing around words like, it's the most divided our country's ever been. None of us were here during the Civil War. So I'm not quite sure that that's true. But it's certainly in our lifetime the most divided that I remember it being. And I would just say this, man. The more divided and the more you read and watch and listen to news, the more you're against. And it just seems like there's a hardness towards people happening even inside the church today. Yes or no? And where Jesus teaches us to love uh, with wisdom and how we do that, of course. But it, it just seems like people today are so easy, just hard. Do you see it? Yes. You know, I, I mean, one of the things that gets tested in heart, generosity is always one of those things. Proverbs says the generous person will be refreshed. When's the last time you felt refreshed? Because when you get hard, one of the things you tend to do, by the way, generosity doesn't always mean money. Generosity is just how you respond to people. Are you generous with your time and your affection? And do you get what I mean? And when you get cold, you don't want to give any of that away. You just... And a generous person himself or herself is refreshed. Coldness, the effect of coldness is that we're not generous. Do you even hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Never mind. So let me give you the second one here. Living fully alive. Living fully alive. All right, this is, uh, this is not exhaustive. And to be honest, after I wrote it and I taught on it, I feel like there's probably a series that could come out of this or at least more teaching. So I'm sorry, this is going to take all of about five minutes and uh, it's not going to be as comprehensive as giving a full message or a series to it would be. But this idea of living fully alive, uh, Philippians 1.21, Paul, again, writes these words. It's just the first part of the verse. Uh, to me, living means living for Christ. Here's what he's saying. If you're going to live, live fully. If you're going to live, be engaged. Today, that coldness issue, real quick. I, I, so this is where I feel like this is for the body of Christ, maybe for our nation in particular, anybody within my hearing that will hear this message, listen to me. Here's the thing that I see prophetically going on today all around me. People, man, there's just so much pain out there and there's so much just junk out there and so much to deal with and so much stress. Just like the Bible said there would be, there's just so much out there that when there's so much pain, no one can live constantly with just dealing with pain all the time. So we all tend to want to medicate ourselves so that we don't feel the pain. Now, I'm not talking about the big three. I'm not talking about drugs and alcohol and using people in order to numb your pain, although that's certainly the way that some people do it. Here's what's going on today that I see, and I even see it in my own life. What people tend to do when there's so much pain out there and they just don't want to feel it because they don't know how to deal with it and they're not connecting to God like they should be, they tend to live their lives very numbly. They disengage and they become very numb. You show up, your body's there, but your mind is not. You've put your heart away because it gets hurt. And it gets hurt so many times that you simply can't do with it anymore. So your body shows up, but you're not there and you live numbly. Has this ever happened to you? You ever sat on your legs the wrong way and they go to sleep? And the longer you do it, the more deadened they become. And then when you stand up to use them, Have you ever fallen down? Has that ever happened to you? I did it in front of everybody one time. Beautiful thing, beautiful thing. So what do you feel when your legs are coming back awake? That pins and needle and you step on it and it hurts. Yes or no? 
A person that has gone numb and done it for a long period of time, when the call to wake up, to become fully alive, to be in the moment, to give yourself, to be engaged with a person, when that call is there, it's painful to come back awake again. For some people, it's too painful, so they won't do it. And for others, you have to be willing to go through the process of reawakening again. Look, it took a heart attack for me. The amount of stress that I lived under, the weight that I carried, and all of the... Listen, if the enemy realizes he can get you that way, he will double down on the stuff going in your life. And I got to a point, man, where it was just like survival. Hey, life is more than living cautiously to present yourself to death at the end. Well, that was good. That was dang good right there. Life is far more than just getting to death. Okay, here I am. I'm across the finish line with both clips open and going for... <laughs> Bad analogy for if you're not a gun person, but... Uh, to be... I hear, I'll give you this. If you're a person who has shut it off and you're not living fully alive, and here, here's what you'll argue with me. Yes, pastor, you're right, but at least I'm not experiencing the pain. Here's the problem. You're also not experiencing the love and the joy and the peace and the goodness and the mercy and the grace and the fun. Because you can't contain it in one area of your life. You shut it off here, but it shuts off over here too. You go to heaven? Sure. Jesus loves you? Absolutely. But it's not abundant life. It's not abundant life. It's not what God called you to. One of the most painful processes of my life two years ago was a heart attack. It taught me, look at me, you probably did this for Thanksgiving. Was there a time you went around the room and said what you were thankful for? Or did you, no, we just dove in and ate till we. <laughs> Which is it? Do you say what you're thankful for? We do that. And I got to start this year and I just told my family this real quick. Are grateful people happy or are happy people grateful. What is it? Because if you're waiting until you're happy to be grateful, guess what? You choose gratefulness and grateful people are happy people. And I don't know why it took this, but I was so numb to life and it was such a burden and it was such a day-to-day drudgery that it took a heart attack and almost having it taken away from me till I realized what a precious gift this moment is right now. And for most of us, we're sitting here and you don't even hear what I'm saying right now. It's rolling. I know what I'm talking about. You're numb to what I'm saying. It's not that you'll say, no, you're wrong. You'll say, I'm right, but you're numb. Your life, you're not engaged. You're not realizing this moment contains the power to make a decision to become fully alive again. And we can let time pass and pass and pass. And all we do is present ourselves to death at the end of it. You survived. That's not abundant life, man. That's not abundant life. It's a choice in a moment to be fully alive to it. Jesus is fully alive to you. He gave his life but came back to life, fully alive to engage with you. And so many people today, I think it's just, it's that prediction that Jesus said, there'd be so much pain that people withdraw. People that love God, good people. I'm not talking ugly to anybody right now. And maybe if you need a finger pointed, it was this pastor. You know, I'll just say this. People that don't require anything of you when you're numb, You can handle them because you don't have to give anything. It's the ones in life who require your love or your time. That's when you find out whether or not you've checked out. Because what you you hate the fact that they're asking that from you. Okay, moving on, because that was a big like rock throwing moment right there. Well we'll just get out of it. No, we're not gonna get out of it. Um, I'll just say this to you real quick. The greatest resource you have in your life, look at me, is your heart. Don't die before you're dead. Deal? Don't die before you're dead. The greatest resource you have is your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this one thing, above everything else, way up here, above everything else, 
Number one in priority, above everything else, guard your heart because from your heart comes your life story. You're like a key without punches when you're created and the things you go through in life, they cut that key and that key turns your destiny eventually. What you do with what's happening in your life is going to open up your future. You'll be stuck in that hallway for a long time, man. Your heart is the greatest resource you have. Guard it carefully. And if it is not doing well, here's the most beautiful part of this message. This is not a self-help message where I tell you, go home and try harder. Go home and convince yourself, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. This is the great, the great collision where Jesus says, all of you who are weary, heavy laden, and full of the stress of this world. Come here. Give me your burden, and I'll give you mine. Let me carry your death, and I'll give you my life. What an exchange opportunity. And I wonder how many times we ignore the invitation to life exchange. You got one more time to do it. Grab your communion. So it's a dual, there's a little uh, piece of plastic on the top, clear, cellophane, pull that back, and you can get the wafer, and then open up the tin foil to get access to the juice, and hold them there for just a second, and we'll take it together like a group, like a family. Last time we did this, I just taught on what's supposed to be happening inside of us when we take this, what it represents and what it means. Uh, this time I'm just going to say this. Jesus, uh, in one of the Gospels, when he takes the cup, he tells the disciples, but he's speaking futuratively uh, to all of us. He said, of the fruit of the vine, I won't drink it again till I drink it with you in my Father's house. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb. But in the meantime, we're told to continue drinking it to remember Him. Here's the thought. He doesn't want us just to passively think about Him, like, oh, Jesus is my buddy. Jesus is not a self-help guru. Jesus takes your death and gives you life. And He offers the great exchange to us today that He wants us to be fully alive to Him. Again, I'm going to say this. If you're not alive this way, how can you be alive this way? That makes sense. And the opportunity then to go this way so that before we head out and try to deal with all the stuff this way, it's one more time presented to us. Father, we need your help to be alive, to be fully engaged. God, it's so easy just to take our hearts and put them on a shelf. To, to give the minimal amount of emotion and to let our Spirits, I don't know, atrophy, going to retirement. Be kept away from, from the battle. I know I say that and some of you think I'm cavalier and maybe unkind because if I knew your situation, it wouldn't be so easy for me to, to say that. Um, man, no judgment. No condemnation at all. But I think regardless, God wants you to be alive to Him. He wants to restore you and refresh you, recreate you, recreate, heal, love, fill. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, mercy, gentleness, self-control. God wants you to experience all of those things and He doesn't want you disconnected going through life so that when you get to the end, you can die.
Abundant life is the promise. For sure it's a process. Maybe this is just the wake-up call. It's not done in a moment. It's done in moments. But may our prayer be, God, I want to be fully alive, fully engaged. I don't want to just go through the motions. I don't want to give the minimum. I don't want to just be safe. God, I want to be alive. Father, help me. Those are the best words right there. Help me. We do the great exchange today. God, those who are weary, heavy laden, full of the burdens of this life, we come to you and we give to you our burdens. For so many people, that's nothing more than words, but God, make it a reality for us today. Give us your life, your joy and your peace and your goodness in exchange for ours. And thank you that you love us so much that you call us to be alive and engaged and you also make the way possible so that we can do it. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The night he was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, blessed it and said, this is my body which is given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup, lifted it to heaven, and said, this is now the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. When you drink the cup, remember me. Let's drink together. This last worship song that uh, Donnie will lead with is just a powerful reminder of God's goodness and His mercy and His grace. And I pray that it would be a sealing factor in your heart right now, that the message that was taught would not simply hit your heart and fall off so that the enemy can steal the seed, but that right now you'd make an active choice to say that belongs to me. And God, I may not be able to do it in a moment, but you can do it over moments. And if this is the beginning of that, I seal it in my heart. I want this. And allow this worship to be a sealing factor for God's healing in your life.